Well, a couple of years ago, uh, Warren and I uh, went up to the Wet Sundays on a, a sailboat. And Warren loves to sail, and it was the um, kind of combination of um, just a dream that he's had for decades. And so we finally got to go, and um, we hired this sailboat. Um, you could sleep on it. And for a week, we set sail around the islands. And it was fabulous, except for one thing. For about five of the six days, there wasn't a breath of wind the whole time. And so, unfortunately, we had to use the motor, which for a sailor is just not, you know, that is embarrassing. But as, you would, uh, as luck would have it, the final day that we had to go back into the shore, it was just incredible. The wind blew up. It was just amazing. The waves were enormous. And I can remember Warren just looking up at him. I was down in the bowels of this boat trying to pack everything and I was being tossed around the boat and I could look up and see this huge smile on his face. He was enjoying every single moment of it and I was just being tossed around and bruised and battered below deck while I was trying to pack everything up. And it's a bit like life sometimes. Life can go smooth for a very long period of time, almost to the point of, uh, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, almost to the point of feeling like, oh, yes, it's pretty humdrum, pretty um, ho-hum. But then all of a sudden, a wave can come and knock us flat out. The storms of life can buffet us and can really impact us. It can impact us through trauma events can happen that is unexpected and we're not, we didn't plan for them and we just find that we're not right off course. Other things can happen like relationships can break down, you might lose your job, you might get ill, there might be a whole range of things that can happen to us and sooner or later we are going to have to negotiate the storms of life. And I don't know about you, but I think that life is getting a bit more crazier. I, I don't know if you experience that, but sometimes I just shake my head and think back on a week in my life or two weeks in my life, and I think not only for myself but for the people around me, just seems to be a lot of storms happening in people's lives. Um, and Jonathan talked this morning about, you know, just depression and, and just, you know, just how life can just get so bad. And so tonight, as we come to continue our series on hunger for God and we're looking at the Psalms, we're actually coming to look at Psalm 62. And we'll find that David himself, when he penned, and it's believed that David penned this psalm, and uh, Jonathan read this psalm to you, that David himself wrote this psalm in the midst of a mighty big storm in his life. Depending on which commentary you, you read, 
It's either the storm of an oppressor like Saul who was trying to take his life or it was his very own son, Absalom, who wanted to usurp David and become king and went about such treachery. And we read in 2 Samuel um, chapters 15 to 19, the account of Absalom. And so I'd encourage you to read that to get the context for this psalm because most commentators agree that it was probably more likely to be with um, when he penned this psalm, it was Absalom, his very own flesh and blood that was actually trying to destroy him. And I can't imagine what that would have been like to have a child betray you and try to murder you in order to usurp you and get your throne. And so into this context comes Psalm 62. And I thought about this and I thought about the times when I too have faced trauma in my life and my response to trauma. I was at a trauma seminar, believe it or not, only a couple of weeks ago. And the one thing that I came away with from that uh, seminar was that trauma will happen. Trauma is um, a reaction to a significant and terrifying event in our lives. But it's not so much the trauma that creates damage, it's our response to that trauma that creates damage in our lives. And researchers, when they've researched Christians and their responses to trauma, that unfortunately they find that a majority of Christians actually run from God rather than running to God. And I reflect on my own life and I think, you know, I'm ashamed to say that more than often than not, or not, that's true. I get into my own sort of heart response of turmoil and worry and stress and, and focus on how I'm going to deal with this trauma. And so we come to David and we have to ask, how did David face this trauma? And right from verse 1, we find David faces this trauma in a very surprising way. He says, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Imagine the context here of fleeing out into the wilderness with his family and his men, fleeing his own son, with men that have once loyal to David that have now turned against him and they're out for blood. And David's response is, my soul finds rest. And I just want to highlight that word soul because I think it's significant. And you know, the soul is a really interesting entity. You know, I had to come to some uh, fleshing out of what this really meant. And, and I've come to understand that the heart actually is the deposit uh, in, in the heart is the deposit of our spirit and our soul. 
And it's not so much our human spirit that we have to really worry about because that becomes transformed instantly when we know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit then takes over our human spirit. But it's our soul, our soul that we wrestle with. Our soul is where the ongoing sanctification of God's Holy Spirit working in our soul for, um, for all eternity, well, until the day we die. Because our soul is really the seat of our own will. The soul has become known as the sentient seat of who we are. It's who we are. It's our identity. It's where our personality resides. It's where our character is refined and it's the seat of our emotions. So it's a big thing, this soul. And you can imagine how significant the soul is. You can imagine how marvellous the soul is, but you can also imagine how dangerous the soul is. And I think it's no surprise that David said, it's my soul that finds rest in God alone. Because it's the soul that is often the thing that keeps us awake at night, ruminating over and over what someone has said to us, how someone has wounded us, what someone has done to us. And it's the soul that responds with emotions that keep us awake at night. When people are going through hard times, Often our response is to question, is God really there? Does God really care? Who is God? I've been reading a book, surprisingly enough, called Surviving the Storms of Life by H. Norman Wright. And he quotes a very famous theologian called Lewis Smedes. And Lewis Smedes writes in his book, How can it be all right when everything is all wrong? And he writes about the trauma of losing a child. And he says, the other night trying to sleep, I amused myself by trying to recall the happiest moments in my life. I let my mind skip and dance where it was led. I thought of leaping down from a rafter in a barn, down into a deep loft of sweet, newly mown hay. That was a superbly happy moment, but somehow my mind was also seduced to a scene some years ago that, as I recall it, must have been the most painful in my life. Our firstborn child was torn from our hands by what felt to me like a capricious deity. I did not want to call God. I felt ripped off by a cosmic con artist. And for a while, I thought, I might not easily ever smile again. That man is a godly man, a big man in the Christian world, and yet he too had his time of trying to work out who is this God? Can I trust him? Can I really trust him? And yet here we find David and his first response is that he slows down enough out in the wilderness to actually find God. My soul finds rest, it says in verse 1. And then in verse 5 again it says, 
find rest my soul in God. And you know, sometimes the only time that we ever experience that sense of rest is when we actually are in a wilderness situation because sometimes that's the only time that we slow down enough to hear God, to experience God. You know, Jonathan was talking this morning in his sermon and it was fabulous and he was talking about Elijah and I might just, I want to reiterate the verse because in 1 Kings 19, Elijah too was fleeing in the wilderness and in 1 Kings 19, verse 11 when Elijah was out in the wilderness, it says, Then there was a great and powerful wind, and it tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The Lord was in the gentle whisper. And sometimes the Lord allows wilderness experiences because it's the only time that will slow down enough to hear his small voice, his whisper. I wonder if any of you have had a wilderness experience. I wonder in our crazy life that God's calling you to slow right down. Aaron sent an email out the other week and I just want to read a part of it. It just really spoke to me. It was from Rick Warren's church and it said that a lot of people are on overload and headed for a crash. (coughs) Consider it says these statistics. People now sleep two and a half hours fewer each night compared to people 100 years ago. Two and a half hours fewer. The average work week is longer now than it was in the 1960s. The average office worker has 36 hours of work piled up on his or her desk. It takes three hours a week just to sort through it and find what we need. We spend eight months of our lives opening junk mail, two years of our lives playing phone tag with people who are too busy to answer and five years waiting for people who are trying to do too much and are late for meetings. We're a piled on, stretched to the limit society, chronically rushed, chronically late, chronically exhausted. Many of us feel like Job did when he said, I have no peace, I have no quiet, I have no rest and trouble keeps coming. Anyone feel like that? I know I do at times. And here, David's response to stress and trauma is that he slowed down enough to get his soul to be at rest. And then he focused. He focused and in verse 1 and he repeats it again in verse 5. As significant words, he said, in God alone. Where does he find rest? He doesn't find it in front of the TV. He doesn't find it in just doing more. He doesn't find it 
in lots of communication with lots of people, he finds it in one place and one place only. He finds it in God alone. Despite the outward turmoil and troubles which beset him, David's spirit is kept calm. Jesus said, come to me all that who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. And in Jesus alone, I will give you rest. In God alone, I will give you rest. Where are you looking? Are you looking to other places? You know, I have to tell you, I have to be honest, it's so easy to get veered off path. It really is, isn't it? You know, we come to church on a Sunday and part of the reason we come is to be resharpened, is to have the world word come and divide joint and marrow, soul and spirit, to have the word sharper than a double-edged sword because it's so easy to get out of focus. And David's response was to focus on one place and one place only. And then what he did was that he reminded himself of the promises of God. He reminded, he went through a mental note. He said, my salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. He's telling himself. And last week, you'll remember, Jonathan said, stop listening to yourself and start telling yourself. I thought that was so fantastic. Stop listening to that soul that wants to beat and wants to talk and wants to express and start telling yourself, reminding yourself, my salvation, my hope, the reason that I exist now and for all eternity is God alone. He reminded himself that he alone is my rock. He says it again in verse 6. He is my fortress. He, he um, continues to reinforce this truth. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is, he says, my mighty rock and my refuge. You know, many, many centuries later, Paul quoted from an Old Testament and in 2 Corinthians, he says in, in chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. We know how, uh, you know, just what this treasure is, don't we? We know that we have feet of clay and that we're really a jar of clay, this body. But that's because it's to show this all-surpassing power that is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we remind ourselves that God alone is our rock. He is our fortress. My salvation, my honour depend on him and him alone. 
And he says, he goes on to say in verse 5, his response is to believe in God because he says, my hope, here he is in the desert, in the wilderness, fleeing for his life and he still holds out hope. He says, my hope comes from him. He still believes that even in this context where nothing makes sense, where he is the anointed one of God and his own son spreads lies about him, usurps him, he still holds out hope. My hope comes from God. (laughs) John Piper says, the infinitely wise, infinitely powerful God pledges that in this God, he will make everything beneficial to his people, no matter what our circumstances. Not just nice things, but horrible things as well, like tribulation and distress and peril and famine and slaughter. But once you walk through the door of love into the massive, unshakable structure of our God, in him alone, everything changes. There comes into your life stability and depth and freedom. You simply can't be blown about anymore by the storms of life. The confidence that a sovereign God governs you for your good, even in the pain and in your pleasure, is an incomparable refuge and security and hope in your life. When God's people truly live in the refuge of God as their mighty rock, they are the freest and strongest and most generous people in the world. I wonder today, are you feeling free? Are you feeling generous? Are you feeling strong? Maybe you came in here tonight and you didn't feel that way. Well, this message is for you because in God alone, We have hope. And David's response is also a convicting response. He says, like John Piper says on this rock, I will never be shaken in verse 2. And he repeats it again in verse 6, I will not be shaken. And I think that's a message for us. I think that... We too easily are shaken as Christians. We too easily veer to the ears and the voices of the world, the megaphones of the earthquakes and the fires, you know, what the media is saying, what our friends are saying, what the uh, philosophy in our schools and universities are saying. We have to stand firm in God's promises and know that we will never be shaken. And finally, David says in verse 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Trust in him. And and, um, why do we want to do that? Why did David want to do that? Well, we'll go on and see that in verses 3 to 4, he was actually being assaulted 
by these group of people. And by this stage, he was an old man. And it says, how long would you assault a man, David was saying. Would all of you throw him down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? And we had to understand that by this time, David was old. And probably Absalom had thought, well, you know, because he's old, this is my opportunity. And David goes on to say they fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. I wonder how many of us have experienced from people that we thought we could trust, people that with their mouths build us up and yet behind our backs they cut us down, cut us to pieces. And that was David's experience. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And I think as we live in this modern world where celebrity and materialism is honoured and held up as the path. This is good to take note of. Don't set your heart on these things. And, you know, at lunch we were just talking about Richard Pratt and we were just saying how he was such a wealthy, influential man, but even he, in all his influence and in all his wealth, could not extend his life. He was but a breath, just like, any, just like the rest of us. So what should our response be? When we think of wilderness experience, when we think of trauma, when we think of when we're in times of great distress, Shouldn't our response be like David's? David trusted. David sought God. And, you know, I think the first thing we need to do is to be proactive. It says find rest. It doesn't just say sit there and rest will come to you. The scriptures say in verse 5, find rest. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, first of all, we have to actually acknowledge that we need it and we have to then be proactive. And I find so many people's problems could be solved if only they'd take action, if only they'd recognise that God is just not going to pull them up and deliver them somewhere else. It's a partnership between them and God. And you have to be proactive and find that rest. Some of the ways might be that you might have to put boundaries around your life and just say, look, I have to prioritise my life and I might have to say no to some things. I find music... I, I, I've got an iPod and I'm so thrilled 
that I can use this thing. And, and sometimes I sit and listen to this music and I find that I'm transported to another place, especially if it's beautiful music that I love. And I find that my soul <laughs> is transported and my soul is enriched and rested. I remember when I was working in palliative care and I'd be immersed in people's problems all week and I'd just be going all week and every Saturday morning I used to, Warren would be outside, the kids would be somewhere and for two hours I'd clean the house and I'd put on all the sad, soppy music and it was just me and the music and the dishcloths and the mops and I would just weep. I would literally just weep and weep and weep. And as I wept, I know I was weeping for all the pain and all the suffering and all the sadness that people were experiencing that I actually didn't really have permission or space to really connect with during that week for myself. Did for them, but not for me. And so I would put on this music and I would just weep and it was therapeutic. And I find that I still do that now. If I'm immersed in, in the issues of life and the storms of life and vicariously I'm living that for others, I will listen to music. I did that last night and, and Warren was watching TV and he looked around and here's his wife blubbering her eyes out with iPods in her ears. It's therapeutic. Okay, you think I'm crazy. <laughs> Someone surely must do that. No. <laughs> but you have to find your thing. But it's important. It's in God's word. Find rest for your soul. Oh, sorry, one other thing. Pour out your heart to him, it says in verse 6. This is something I'm pretty familiar with because part of my role is that I'm with people that pour out their heart and I can tell you it is really healthy and it really helps. And it is no, uh, you know, there is a reason why this is in this psalm. David, when we read the psalms, was a man after God's own heart. He poured out his heart to God. Pour out your heart to him. If not to God, then to someone, preferably to God. And the second thing I want you to do, should, that should be our response, is that you've got to tame this soul. Too many of us allow this soul to run away and keep running. You know, bitterness can be anchored so deeply in the soil of our soul and that we just keep running away with it for years and years and years and it's never tamed, it's never brought into line. Anger can be harbouring away in that soul and it can go on and on and on and on. I met a woman once, she had cancer, she was still alive after 12 years and she wasn't meant to be alive. And I said, what's kept you going? What's kept you alive? She said, anger. 
My husband committed suicide when we first moved out here and left me with two kids and I was angry with him. And I got cancer straight after and I kept being angry for 12 years and it kept me going. Well, it might have kept her going, but she wasn't a happy woman. Tame that soul. Speak to it. Tell it to be tamed by your mind. I read a wonderful book once that talked about how the mind is to tame the soul. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Our mind has to be in charge of this. It goes from here to here. Okay? Tame your soul. That should be our part of our response. A third response is to focus on God like, like David did. He says in verse 11, <clears throat> one thing God has spoken, <clears throat> two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, O Lord, are loving. Focus on the true God, not on the God that you've constructed in your own mind. So many of us have different uh, ideas of who God is. If we've had a, a father that has been cruel and oppressive, then our concept of God is likely to be coloured by that. But you need to go to God's word. And here in this psalm, David concludes this beautiful, wonderful blueprint for life in, in verse 11 by saying one thing. God has spoken two things. No, two things I've heard. So he changes his mind. He says, oh, God, you are strong. You are more than enough. We sang. You are more than enough. You are more than enough for the storms of my life. Who here is able to testify that God is more than enough for the storms of your life? I know I can testify to that. I can truly testify to that. Sometimes when I'm right in that boat being buffeted about, I can't really testify as confidently. But I know, I know in my soul because I've learnt to tame it as best I can at this point in my development that God is strong, that he is more than enough. And coupled with that is that he's loving and that he cares so deeply for you, more deeply than any of you will ever know. So don't be swayed. Don't be swayed. That should be another response, please. Don't be swayed by the world. It says in verse 10, do not trust in and do not set your heart on other things, come back to God alone. You know, Psalm 62 has been known as the God alone psalm because David quotes that so many times. Don't be swayed. And lastly, stand firm. Stand firm in your God. He's a mighty God. David says he's a rock. No, he's my mighty rock. 
He's not just a rock. He's my mighty rock. Stand firm in the knowledge of who God is. He's for you. He's not against you. And that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. A question, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust yourself? Are you going to trust maybe what others might tell you? Are you going to put your faith and trust completely in God alone? Are you going to allow this soul which can be so amazing and just uplift the person so deeply and yet also bring them down so destructively? Are you going to allow this soul to be transformed by God, to find that rest in God alone? Are you going to allow God to be your mighty rock, to be your mighty fortress? I just really pray that tonight that you've really heard from David that despite life storms, you can trust in God alone and that you'll hunger to trust in God alone. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that despite where each and every one of us are, no matter what storm we might be facing, maybe we're on that beautiful, still, tranquil sea, which is like glass and nothing much is happening. We praise you that we're in that place. But maybe, Lord, tonight there are some of us that are in that boat and we're being buffeted around and, and just swayed by all sorts of waves, a storm that is building up those waves and swamping us. Oh, Lord, wherever we are, may we have a hunger to trust in you alone, Lord. May we have a hunger to quieten our soul, to be proactive in finding that rest so that in that rest we hear your voice and we know that you are God, that you alone are mighty, that you alone are strong, that you alone are loving. Oh, Lord, we thank you for who you are in your precious name. Amen.